Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. The 2-1 pitch lifted in the air. Deep left field at the track at the wall. Gone! Lead off homer, Tommy Edmond. Paul DeYoung with a drive. Deep left field at the wall. Gone! The 0-1. Little flare hit out to center. That ball will drop. Arenado will score. He fought it off, and that makes it a 4-1 St. Louis lead on a base hit by Harrison Bader. Ah, it's nice to talk about a win, and that's what the Cardinals did last night. That's what they have to do a bunch of down the stretch. Welcome in. It's the Wednesday edition of the Danny Mac Show with BK. Coming up, we'll visit with former Pirate and uh, St. Louis Cardinal Andy Van Slyke. That's how you draw it up. You get a, a couple of home runs. You fight off a base hit for Harrison Bader. I do wonder if they're going to flip for people that didn't see it last night. Yachty hit a ball 106 miles an hour that the shortstop went to his left, had to dive for on an 0-2 pitch, by the way. Went off his glove, run scored, initially ruled a base hit and an RBI, and then they turned it over to uh, an error, which I did not agree on. However, that's what they got, and they got very good bullpen work as well as Jay Happ, the relievers, all combined to allow one hit that was it last night so couldn't draw it up any better yeah and i feel like people are starting to see why the cardinals wanted jay hap he throws strikes man like he he doesn't walk a bunch of dudes and he's gonna get the batting average on balls in play stuff like that's gonna get to him eventually there's probably gonna be a start here or there down the stretch where you're like ah it's it's not looking great for him you live with that because at least he's not walking six seven eight batters in a game you don't have to worry about that with him out there And it just makes you feel so much more comfortable, Dan, especially when this team's able to get an early lead with that home run by Tommy Edmond. I felt like they were in control of that game from the moment that that thing started. And that's totally different than the feeling that I've had for the majority of the season with this Cardinals team. And part of that is let's give Hap a lot of credit because he goes six innings, one hit. It's the home run hit by Park, his first in the big leagues. That's the only hit of the game. And he strikes out five. But part of that is when you grab an early lead with a team that has dropped five in a row, a team that now is 31 games below the 500 mark. So first batter, boom, there's a home run. The responsibility of a pitcher, and I always say this, is the next inning, it's imperative to have a shutdown inning, to put up a zero. And he did it one, two, three. Mm -hmm. And so to your point, I, I think there's a lot to that where the Cardinals are like, okay, let's go. We, we got our guy. We, we, we can see he's got good stuff tonight. And, you know, we already have a one nothing lead. And then there's the flip side of being a team that's lost as much as they have. And it's the, oh, ah, come on. Here we go again. Yep. And that's part of it. So it's a good job by Jay Happ. By the way, Jay Happ, five and a third, first time, six innings last night. Uh, you mentioned the lack of walks, which has been great. He's also throwing over 70% strikes in his games. That is such a factor. It's such a factor. 
throw strikes. And that's something the Cardinals, in my opinion, this offseason, I don't care if the guy throws 100. I want to see people that have a track record of throwing strikes. That has to happen. And he's been doing that. Yesterday was Lance Lynn-esque as well, because all he was doing was throwing his fastball up there consistently. I think it was roughly 70% fastball uh, rate for him last night. And that works. Yeah. If it's working, they why change it up? Fastball after you know? fastball. I loved it. It's going down into the zone, and you feel good about it. So J-Hap is exactly what the Cardinals needed right now. You're getting close to Jack Flaherty being back on the mound. We got a little bit of news there yesterday. Uh, sounds like he's going to be able to start against the Royals, and then Miles Michael is going to get one more rehab start before he returns to the rotation. Things are setting up nicely. This team has to keep this going, though, Dan. That, that's the thing. It's, it can't just be a one-off. It's got to be momentum that starts to build here. 6-3-6. Schilt has let the starters go deeper when they are in control to save the pin down the stretch. Absolutely. Now, I had no problem with what he did yesterday. You're talking about J-Hap, and he's in his late 30s. And I think typically when, when you watch Hap or you watch even LeBlanc, uh, probably John Lester, you get to 85, 90 pitches. They're a little bit different than, let's say, Jack Flaherty, if he was healthy and he's at 85 pitches here in the sixth and his spot isn't coming up, he's going back out there. You know, the Cardinals are going to be cautious with those guys because they are older and there's a lot of mileage. And I and that's been their track record this year. They really have not been extended, whether it was Lester with Washington, Hap with Minnesota. Some of that's a, a product of not pitching well. Other times it's a product of, Hey, guy might be running out of gas, and we feel like if we have a rested bullpen, we can go do this. Matchups are better. So I understand why he does that. I, I have no problem with that. Yeah, Hap did his job last night. No question. He did, he did his job. He got it done. Then you go to your bullpen. By the way, Dan, credit to this bullpen. It has been so much better of late. I know what happened against started the started on Friday. I, I know what happened in that series. However, ever since then, they have looked fantastic, and they're starting to get other pieces. We've been talking about this all year long. Can somebody outside of that big three, maybe multiple somebodies, emerge? And we're starting to see that. Ryan Helsley has been pretty darn good of late for this team. You look at some of the pieces that they've added via the scrap heap. They've started to contribute in big ways. Luis Garcia ways. has now eight and a third scoreless baseball. I think TJ McFarland has been a guy that he's not just somebody you're going to throw in there to, to clean uh, well let me rephrase that you might but he's also going to get some other chances if other guys are down that you feel okay with maybe not great but you feel okay with because he's given you a little confidence in him so to your point i agree outside the big three which is what we've been talking about all year you have to find other guys that when they're down you can count on them i don't know if you saw this i dug this up um during the broadcast last night the numbers of a clean inning for Ryan Helsley. Yeah, I heard you talking about this. Starting an inning and his numbers when he has inherited runners. You know what his ERA is? Inherited? It's crazy low with inherited runners and crazy high when he doesn't have anybody on for a clean inning. Zero with runners on. That's amazing. Yep. And clean innings, it's round seven. So he got the first couple last night, then there was a walk, and then they went with a lefty-lefty matchup. Cabrera, he had an inning and a third, and then he turned it over. Uh, to Alex Reyes, so everything worked, and that's the formula for good teams. So we'll see what happens tonight. They've got Wayno going, but last night Mike Shield talked about the fact that Jay Happ he set the tone in the game. It sets the tone, man. That mound sets the tone. I mean, you know, you look, and it's just you know, it's where it starts. And Jay did a great job tonight. We jump on, get an early lead with the Eddie Homer, and you know, Paulie gets some nice puts a nice stroke on it for two nothing lead, and he goes out. In control, in command, throwing strikes, 
you know, hitting with his pitches, um, moving the ball around. Just did a great job, and it sets a tone for the tempo of the game, sets a tone for the tempo of the series. It does set the tone, and now Hap, maybe, and the Cardinals getting some momentum. It's a tough thing to go on those those big streaks. I mean, it's hard enough to, you know, sweep a series. You win the first two games. It's really hard to win that third game. I mean, you look around, it just doesn't happen that often, and those are the type of things that hopefully we can do, you know, a couple times in a row or – and the other thing is bouncing back from tough losses and moving on to the next day. So, you know, we know, you know, the window is what it is. And, you know, we're hoping to go on one of those runs. So Schilte said that Hap did set the tone on the mound. What has he seen from him since he's become a Cardinal now in two starts? Presence and steady. Um, I think they're both really good words to describe um, what we're seeing out of some of the veteran guys. And, you know, Hap is a great example of it. You know, he's under control with what he's doing. Um, you know, he's got the pitches, you know, his fastball's got life to it. You know, he's just in control. That allows you to be steady. You know, steady wins. So that's a good observation. He did a really nice job again for us tonight. Six strong innings, one hit, got the win. And you got Wayno going tonight. That's the guy. I mean, hey, if Flaherty is healthy every fifth day, you say, well, that's the guy. Nope. This year, 2021, it's a 39-year-old, soon to be 40 later this month, Adam Wainwright. Looking forward to this start tonight. And, Dan, I'm sure there's a lot of Cardinals fans thinking some to, something to the effect of, yeah, okay, they've won three of their last four, but look who they've done it against, the Royals it. and the Pirates. And I totally understand that perspective. I really do. But 14 of your next 17 are against Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Detroit. Right. There's three games mixed in there against Milwaukee. you got to do real well in that series. That's going to be a big one. But the other 14 games... They're against bad teams, just like what you've seen over the last four. So if you can consistently win three out of four, that's what you're going to literally have to do down the stretch. You've got a chance here, but it's going to take basically what we've seen of late. Wade LeBlanc will go tomorrow. Mike Schilt made that announcement. Jack Flaherty then goes on Friday, which is kind of the direction we thought they may go. First Makes start sense. out, don't swing the bat. He'll uh, The DH will be in play, so that's the news on that. By the way, Dylan Carlson collected himself uh, three hits for the Cardinals last night. Went three for four, run scored, strikeout in August, hitting 375. He was playing left field last night. Tyler O'Neill was a late scratch, second Kobe. Shot did not feel well, so uh, we'll see if he's in the lineup tonight. He's been such an interesting guy. Like the weekend was so interesting with Tyler O'Neill. Four hit night, matches career high, game one. Then Saturday, strikes out three times. And BK, I'm, I, I'm assuming you didn't see it, but they weren't great at bats. It was kind of like the at bats where it, sometimes a guy strikes out and you go, man, there's good cuts, whatever. But he struck out. These were not good at bats. He was just you could tell he was off balance, guessing. And then the next day, he walks three times. So uh, he can be a factor. We'll see if he plays uh, tonight. The other thing I I noticed last night, man, the more I watch him, the more the one thing I like seeing is the energy that Emundo Sosa brings to the ballpark, even if he goes hitless. Um, But I just like that, man, the guy is a gamer. I mean, he it's a tough position to be a bench guy. And then all of a sudden they thrust you in the lineup. You always got to be ready. That's your role. Goes out, gets a triple, got a base hit. He had a line out. He had a nice play uh, defensively. But he does it with a little energy. And I, I like seeing that. And this club needs that. So Tanner brought these stats to my attention last night. I thought they were interesting. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on these, Dan. How come I'm not on your text chain? Hey, listen, Dan. You've got other stuff going on. All right. On. Okay. I just get bring it to it. you afterwards. All right. So Edmundo Sosa this year in games that he starts. He's batting 290. Okay. He's got an on-base percentage north of 360. He's got an OPS over 765. 
pretty good. Mm-hmm. You, you like to see that out of a non-power-hitting middle infielder. Edmundo Sosa this year when he's a sub, he's batting 071 with an OPS of about 235. So you have an OPS that's 500 points lower when he's a sub compared to when he's a starter. Now, spoiler alert, there's a very small sample size of him being a sub. He's not coming in a whole lot. Do the splits of uh, home and road with Sosa, too. He's been really good at home. What do you make of that? Is there something to it, or do you think that's just, hey, he hasn't gotten a whole lot of opportunities as a sub. If he had more of a sample, those numbers would come up a little bit. I got to wonder if the negative numbers or the lesser numbers are because he's being used uh, occasionally as a pinch hitter, which might be once a week. Sure. So that gets really tough to, I mean, it's just, it's the hardest job in baseball, you know, arguably to be a guy that you're not the option. I mean, Rondon's the right-handed option. Carpenter's a left-handed option. Newt Bar's a left-handed option, and then there's Sosa. And Sosa is there because you feel emergency-wise, what happens if Tommy Edmond or uh, one of your infielders gets hurt? You know, DeYoung or Arenado in a game. So you, you kind of keep him back for that. And so his time coming off the bench is just so limited. And I think that's what makes it really tough to to try to put up good numbers because as a pinch hitter, it's just awfully tough to do that. Yeah, I, I think they would come up if he were getting more opportunities. I, I just I believe he's too good of a player to be a guy that would bat under 100 in those spots. But it, it's interesting. There, there's clearly something to it. And by the way, to your point on the home versus road splits, they are enormous. Yep. He's batting 330 at home yep. this year and 185 on the road this year. I, again, see if I was on the text chain, I'd help you guys out. <laughs> I don't know how much there is to that. I, I wonder if this is just kind of fun with small sample size, but it, it's interesting. He, he's he been a really important player for this team. I saw somebody on Twitter mention this last night. I wholeheartedly agree with it. I don't think he's an everyday starter, but I think he's an important piece to what could be later on a very good team. Yeah. Like he's he's a perfect utility infielder. Absolutely. Coming off of the bench. Yeah. And he comes with energy. And that's and as a utility guy, yes, coming off the bench, got to have that energy. We're going to visit with Andy Van Slyke coming up, the former all-star with the Pirates and the Cardinals. He'll be our guest. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. One of my favorite people to visit with over the years. I consider him a great friend, and it's Andy Van Slyke, who is a tremendous, tremendous major league player here in St. Louis and in Pittsburgh. Uh, There's so many things I want to ask Andy that I've never asked him before, and I might do it today, BK. I just might do it. All right? Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Let's Let's welcome in Andy Van Slyke. Slick, how you doing? Well, based on that introduction, I'm a little scared to talk to you, Dan. Why? You know, we, we have great conversations. Questions you've never asked me before. You've never been shy to pry into my private life, my personal, you know, I mean, just go right ahead. I'm All right. Books. Well, I was looking, um, I mentioned you on the, I don't know if you were watching the game last night, but um, the Pirates had two All-Stars that started this year for the first time since Bobby Bonilla and Andy Van Slyke. And so sometimes I just kind of drift off in my own mind when I'm doing these games. I know you find that shocking. And I said, you know, I've never really asked Andy about his time in Pittsburgh in terms of when you look back on it, are you 
frustrated that that team never got to a World Series? Did you go, well, we ran into a juggernaut a couple of times? I mean, you guys had you in your prime. You were an awesome player. Bobby Bonilla, you had good pitching. You had a great, great manager in Jim Leland. You had Barry Bonds. So where where are you when you reflect on your Pittsburgh time? Well, shoot, we had, uh, I think, one, two, three, for five gold gloves starting at one time, uh, an MVP, a Cy Young Award winner, all in one year. How'd you guys not team, win then? Well, we we got we ran into the, you know we had a three run lead against uh, Atlanta in '91, and we right. just ran into pitchers just like in 1985. We had a three run lead against against Kansas City, and we ran into Danny Jackson and you know Brett Saberhagen, and when, when guys like that who can pitch at that level have total command, they can dominate any baseball team. No question. There's no doubt about it, and that's what happens in, in postseason play. And then I, I brought up Mike Lavalier later in the game, and then I thought about you again with the trade in 87, and uh, I thought, I wonder what Andy thinks if he would have stayed here, what would have happened for your career? Because you blossomed, obviously, in Pittsburgh, became a remarkable player, but did you ever think – if I wasn't traded, what might have happened here in St. Louis? So these are some of the questions I had for you, Andy. And that's, I think it's a great question. It's one that I think about. You know, I was drafted. I was the first pick for the Cardinals in '79. Obviously, the you know picking a kid from upstate New York who plays less than 20 high school games in a season was a risk. I, I really appreciate that. And then I got the so early, and I was hurt basically half my minor league career so I really didn't have a lot of at-bats in the minor leagues so I get to the big leagues with you know maybe 800 at-bats in the minor leagues and I had to learn to hit really for the first time in my life because hitting the minor leagues is totally different in the big leagues you know you're, you're facing you know you've got a 12-man staff back then or 11-man staff 10 of those guys are really really good but when you throw 13 or 14 obviously I think it's easier to hit some some mediocre pitching so I had to learn how to hit in the big leagues. In the minor leagues, you don't see that kind of pitching. And so when I got to St. Louis, it took me three years. But I really thought that fourth year when I played every day in center field and hit 300 after the second half of the season when Willie got hurt, that I was going to be a mainstay for 10 years in, in St. Louis. And I, that's that really was my dream. Sure. Um, I wonder, and, and this is the other, you, you just made me think of something else here too. Your son, Scott, had a really nice career in the big leagues. It took a little bit, though, to get to the big leagues, and then he becomes a very good player. And I wonder if it's kind of similar to what you went through. So now when kids come up, they're on these travel teams. They're going all over the place. They're going to Florida, Texas, California, Arizona, kids out of St. Louis. But then Scott, you know, was a kid out of St. Louis where you're facing guys that are throwing, let's say, 80-85. And you might see that one guy throwing 90-95, but it's not consistent where the kids today that are coming out are seeing that. I wonder if your son kind of had a similar trajectory with what you're talking about, about facing really good pitching and having to make that adjustment more so than guys that come from the warm weather climates in the minor leagues. Well, you know, to be honest with you, Dan, he was – he was a talented player. I wouldn't say a highly, highly talented player. He had power. But the one thing that Scott really knew how to do, and the reason I think he played as long as he did in the big leagues, he knew how to play the game. And I think a lot of that, not necessarily maybe the hitting part, I think Scott was always going to you know, be the hitter that he was in the big leagues. Um, 
But I think playing all those minor league games gave him the ability to play at the big league level because he learned how to play the game correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ran the bases correctly. He always threw the ball at the right place. You know, he, he never got thrown out on the bases. Um, he just he just knew how to play the game. And I think a lot of that had to do with spending so many so much time in the minor leagues, which you really don't see from a lot of young players in today's game. They just rush them and they're not ready to play. And you see all the mistakes night after night. And you shake your head and you go, why? Well, the minor league system is not what it used to be. And that's and that's really not the, the player's fault. It's interesting you mentioned that, Andy, because I know we've talked in the past about Harrison Bader and some of the Cardinals' young outfielders and the struggles that they had early on. It feels like we've seen a little bit of a change in approach from from Bader and Tyler O'Neill, and it's led to much better results this year. Do you feel like they are now starting to kind of come into their own as big leaguers after taking that period of transition time? I think it's rare to see a young player come up and, and be good. I mean, you know, there's there's not that many Tatis juniors and you know, and Guerrero juniors in, in the big leagues. And when, when they come up and they do what they do at, you know, 20, 21, 22, it's a rare, rare deal. I mean, think about, you know, one of the greatest center fields of all time, Ken Griffey Jr., 19 years old. I mean, how many 19-year-olds come in and do things that he does? It's just, it's a rare thing. And I think the problem is we expect every other player, whoever organization we're connected with, if we got a young, high draft pick, number one pick, you know, spent two years in the league City, Come to the big leagues and be great. It just doesn't happen that often. I'm really curious, Andy, and and I know you watch a lot of the games, and I'm disappointed you haven't been texting me recently, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm through it. Uh, I'm going to get over it. But, you know, I remember a couple years ago we opened up in Pittsburgh, and I think you were throwing out the first pitch for the Pirates that Mm -hmm. day on opening day. And we, we asked you to come up in the booth, and you were gracious enough to do it. And I was working with Jimmy, and so we had, you know, double-digit gold gloves sitting next to me, and we are talking about playing defense uh, in the outfield. And Jimmy always played really, really shallow. And his point is, look, if a ball gets hit over my head, it's probably a home run anyway. So I'd rather take away the ball that's shallow. And I was watching this last homestand, um, the Minnesota Twins, the, uh, the, the Royals did this, Atlanta did this, Bader does this. They play so deep. I mean, they everywhere. Play too deep. Yeah, I, I I just I wonder if it's a byproduct. I'm curious in your thoughts. Is it a byproduct on guys are swinging for fences and power, and we're talking slug all the time, or if this is how they're being taught the game right now, and where you stand on that? I think it has to do with analytics. Some kid graduated from some Ivy League school, put together some program, brought it to an organization, say, listen, if you play five steps deeper or seven steps deeper. You're going to take away so many doubles, and so many doubles lead to so many runs instead of singles, and you know, and so far we go on and on and on, which is, to me, not the way to play the game. The game's in front of you, and when the game's in front of you, what you do is you look at your pitcher, and you look at the hitter. You look at the count. You play against the scoreboard. That's how you play defense. The scoreboard and the pitcher and the hitter tell you how to play defense, not a computer program. When you were coming up in the minor leagues, I've never asked you this, and it's probably a uh, fault of mine. I talk a lot about George Kissel and what he did with infielders specifically or things of base running or bunting and those kind of aspects of the game, the fundamentals. We talk about Mr. Ricketts all the time, God rest his soul, you know, doing such a great job with the catchers. Who was doing a lot with the outfielders when you were coming up? Um. Well, it was a, it was a combination of, of um, 
coaches. It wasn't really one uh, particular. I, I, I say George Kissel obviously had the biggest influence on me in, in playing defense, running bases, fundamentals. Because I went to instructional ball, which unfortunately is not part of baseball anymore. And it's one of the greatest tools in the history of the game was instructional ball. You take your best players, you send them down to Florida. Other organizations, they do it after the season. You play after the season, and then you get to go home for Christmas, and you get ready for the next season. I did that three years in a row, and I learned more. And it's only a six to eight week program. I learned more in those two months or three months combined in three years than I ever did playing any minor league game and playing the biggies. He taught me how to play the game. He taught me how to play defense. And the one thing that George Kissel taught me more than anything else, and what I explained before, Dan, was the games in front of you, the scoreboard tells you and your pitcher how he's pitching. And is the hitter on every pitch. There's been times when I've actually moved back four or five steps based on the way that the guy was swinging at my pitcher. And sure enough, he hit a ball in the gap and I would have caught it. I wouldn't have done that if I, the kid was swinging and missing at you know the first couple of pitches. So sure. again, it's the scoreboard, it's the pitcher. And I think that's the, when you do that, the fundamentals become very easy. When you look at where the game is right now, Andy, and you look at the, the minors in general, is there any way to get it back to where it once was, or do you think that's that's just gone at this point? You know, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I think somebody, some organizations still do it a little bit better than others. I actually talked to the next teammate yesterday. Randy Tomlinson is with the Washington Nationals. They do not even take batting practice off of live pitching before baseball games. They hit off of tees. Now, that is the most infantile amateur thing I've ever heard in my life, and yet that's where things have progressed in, in the game, and it's progressed backwards. I'm curious. Um, Cardinals Hall of Fame is coming up next homestand. What what does it mean to see for you both Tommy and uh, Tommy Hur and John Tudor going to the Cardinals Hall of Fame for you? Jealousy. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, they, they really based on our first conversation, you know, it, it would have been tremendous if that uh, happened here in St. Louis for me, but obviously the trade. And I kind of wish they would do things like that in Pittsburgh because it would be nice to be part of, of, of a situation like that. I, I feel great for those guys. They were, you know, John Tudor started out in Boston, went to Pittsburgh, but he he's a Cardinal, you know, and Tommy Hurd was obviously a mainstay here with Ozzy and they both deserve it. They're great players, and 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 it's just going to be exciting to be to, to see this whole thing happen. Are you coming out for it? You going to be there? If I'm invited, well, you're invited. <laughs> well, I'll be with you then. How's oh, that? Come on up, sit right next to me on stage, and everybody here's you these guys, it. and there here's Andy, who was great in Pittsburgh and St. Louis. <laughs> I can do that. Whatever. Hey, Andy, yeah. the final question that I wanted to ask you, I, I wanted to ask you about this team that we're watching on a night-to-night basis. It it certainly has not been the year that many of us expected to see, but I love getting your thoughts on the outfield. And right now you look at Bader, O'Neal, Carlson. It, it's been pretty good for all three of them. What have been your impressions of what we've seen from start to finish and the progression from this young outfield? Well, again, it's, it is young. Um, you know, I think there's been some unfair stuff about Bader. You know, he was probably highly touted, um, and I, I never really liked that. I, I, I would rather see an organization just let the kid, you know, we have, you know, expectations, and, and don't let anybody know what they are. I mean, they thought this kid was going to be a starting gold glove all-star for many, many years, and, I, and I, he probably felt the pressure, and he wasn't ready. But he's come around, and I, he started to do things that he didn't do early in his career, and that's, 
hit less fly balls and hit the ball the other way and use his legs. And, you know, and then O'Neal, it's just a matter of him staying healthy. I mean, if he's a, if he's a healthy player, he's a good player. And Carlson, we all know what, what the, what the potential is there. It's who knows he could be a 25, a hundred RBI guy, guy for five or six years in a row. That's the kind of talent he has. So no, no question. The, the growth. Yeah. I mean, the growth spurts are there. We just have to be patient. And sometimes our, expectations are just too high this is my uh, final question you were part of the uh, coaching staff in 06 correct me if i'm wrong with detroit the team that mm-hmm. lost to st louis and you watched adam wainwright close out the world series adam wainwright is pitching tonight here we are in 2021 um <laughs> i've had andy i've had more fun and i know adam very well done most of his games as a broadcaster um I've had more fun watching him pitch this year than maybe any other time in his career. This guy is so much fun to watch, and I'm assuming you kind of feel the same way. You know, I I kept, you know, three or four years, oh, he's done. Oh, he's done. Yes. I mean, he's done. Oh, look at that curveball. It's it's hanging in the middle of the plate, and they can't hit it. They're going to start hitting it sometime. And yet he understands, I think, what it means to hit. It's it's an interesting concept. A lot of pitchers just pitch to the glove or they, they use their stuff. He uses his stuff to, to to keep the hitter so off balance all the time. It's just amazing to watch. I mean, and and when he has his control, and that's obviously the key for most pitchers. But guy with, with Wainwright stuff, when he has his command, you know, it, it's as much fun watching you know Kerry Wood strike out twenty one guys in in a ball game. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, Andy, thanks for uh, hopping on. Really appreciate it. And uh, I want to catch up soon. So hopefully we see you uh, at the Hall of Fame. You know, my phone actually works both ways. I probably need to text you, too. But you know, um, I was going to say that, you know, that I don't think any of your fingers or tips are broken at this point. So thanks a lot, Andy. Hey, maybe, the tip, maybe the tip of your tongue a few times, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I usually get your text is when I screw That's up. Right. So thank you very That's much right. for keeping That's me in check. Hey, Andy, thanks right. for hopping on. Appreciate it, man. I right, love you, Dan. You too, buddy. Love you. That's uh, Andy Van Slyke, who is just, um, I'll tell you what, man, the conversations I've had with that guy, non-baseball are better than the baseball conversations. And I love the baseball conversations because he's blunt, he's honest, and he knows. And the beauty of Andy is that he played at a high level. He was an all-star, one gold glove, silver sluggers, um, part of championship clubs, But then he coached, and so when you coach in this day and age, you have to have an understanding of analytics. Before you're hired, they're going to say, what's your understanding of analytics, and are you willing to embrace him? Now, when you hear Andy, he may begrudgingly accept him, but he understands there's a place for it. So I I love that combination of guys that played at that level, learned from George Kissel, but yet understand the modern game too. And he has that. I thought what he said about Adam Wainwright was so yes. interesting about Very how interesting. He, he understands the, the hitting hitter. side of things. And it brought, it immediately flashed into my mind. This is a football analogy, but Kyle Shanahan is one of the best young coaches in the NFL. He's an offensive minded coach for the San Francisco 49ers and where he cut his teeth in, in college. And then when he first got to start in the NFL was actually learning the defensive rules first. He learned how the defenses would adjust to whatever he's doing as an offensive play caller and so now he's able to break those tendencies with what he calls as an offensive coordinator as the head coach now for the 49ers and I feel like there's some of that with what he's saying about Wayno 
If you understand the hitting side of things, you know how to attack it. You know the way that they are going to attack you. So it's it's that cat and mouse game that we talk about so often. It's it's really fascinating, man. And when you go about it kind of pitch by pitch, there's probably nobody better at that right now in baseball than Adam Wainwright. So he's got diminished stuff, still really good stuff, but it's not like when he was in 06 throwing 95 to 97, sometimes hit 98, curveball 12 to 6. That was as nasty as anybody uh, in the game. And I, So that's the part I love is that he's pitching. In a, in a day and age where guys are just coming out, throwing 100, have no idea where it's going. I think the other part about this this year with Adam Wainwright, it seems like his spot always comes up when the Cardinals need him most and he steps up. Maybe that's part of my thinking and my bias. I don't know. But this year, to me, BK has been the most enjoyable to watch him pitch. He's been awesome. I think the other thing about that and maybe why we feel that way, Dan, is because we always feel like he's going to come through. It's mm-hmm. so like there's other big spots that come up, but then it's uh, Carlos Martinez comes up, and we're like, we have no idea. No idea if he's going to be able to come through tonight. It could continue this dry spell for the Cardinals, or maybe he throws a no-hitter. Like yeah. could go either way, really. Whereas with Wayno, I feel pretty confident the Cardinals are going to get at least six innings, and he's going to give up probably three or in a or fewer. You're probably going to get a quality start tonight out of Adam Wainwright. It's a hell of a thing, man. For a guy that's 39 years old, coming up on being 40 here in about three weeks, it's unbelievable that he's still doing it at this level. Uh, the 314, when is the Hall of Fame and is it open to fans? It is. It's uh, free of charge, open to fans. My understanding is BK found this out in the last 24 hours. They're going to move it outside so that people can feel comfortable just in case. Um, so they're going to move it outside probably to the Ballpark Village infield, which is just outside uh, the front doors of Ballpark Village and the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum there. So we normally, for pre-COVID, when we would do the Hall of Fame, we'd be indoors. The place is absolutely packed. It's a celebration of Cardinal baseball, and I know I'm going on my homerish here, but it's really cool. Uh, if you get a chance to do it, you got a ticket to the game that night, do yourself a favor, come down early, bring mom and dad, whatever. Um, it's something that you will really, really enjoy. We'll go around uh, Major League Baseball. By the way, that's a week from this Saturday. Next homestand, a week from this Saturday. Also that weekend, they're going to honor one night uh, specifically for Lou Brock, one day for Bob Gibson, which we have not been able to do. But now that we're uh, able to get fans in the stands, we want to do that as well. So that'll be not this weekend, but the following weekend. We'll go around Major League Baseball coming up. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. I like this segment. By the way, thanks to uh, Andy Van Slyke for hopping on with us. That was great stuff. A lot of uh, response from Andy's interview on the text line, the Air Comfort Service text line. So thank you, Andy. Uh, News and notes around Major League Baseball and the minor leagues. Cardinals AA affiliate, the Springfield Cardinals, have now six players on the injured list as part of the uh, outbreak at COVID-19 within their roster. I wonder how many... um, of these situations have happened in minor league baseball because when guys go on the IL and you're in the minor leagues kind of flies under the radar and a lot of times teams just don't say anything they say well BK is hurt whatever yeah I gotta wonder how many of these have happened um and uh Luke and Baker I think is on that list I think three pitchers are on that list 
mean, they're going to get the guys back, but it is interesting to see how the minor leagues have handled this as opposed to the amount of attention it gets on the major league level, too. Yeah, just from press, right? We right. ask about it, and eventually they give us the answer. Right. Um, it, whereas at the minor league level, they're unavailable today. Hopefully we'll get them back tomorrow. We'll see. Well, that's kind of the way that it goes there. Uh, hopefully everybody's cool. Everybody's okay. Um, wishing all the best for those guys. So we have Mookie Betts, scratch from the Dodgers lineup. He has right hit, uh, hip discomfort may go to the IL. That's uh, one of the debates I was reading about this morning, what they're going to do with him. The Phillies, big loss for them. Reese Hoskins. Yeah, it has been. Reese Hoskins on the 10-day IL groin injury. Speaking of COVID, Don Mattingly rejoins the Marlins. He was out with COVID, so he was 10 days out. The manager is back. Big news for the Mets, and they need this to happen, in my opinion. Noah Syndergaard throwing again. Mets uh, look to have him work in relief upon his return. Even if you get him in relief, um, getting Syndergaard back is a jolt. It just happens in a clubhouse. You get a big name back, and they say, man, we got this guy for the stretch run, maybe the playoffs. That's a big deal, especially with the uncertainty of DeGrom, which they have right now. I'm not sure the Mets win the East. I don't think they do. I think it's either the Phillies or the Braves at this point. It, it, I... I actually think the Braves might be able to get this done. I like those, the Braves. Those moves that they made at the deadline, I, you mentioned Jolt. I think it's given them a little bit of a jolt. You you have some energy that's coming from that outfield now. Hey, we I, saw that in St. Louis when they were here. Absolutely. That was kind of the start of this run that they're currently on. I think they've got a real shot to be able to win that division. And, man, for, for them to lose Ronald Acuna Jr. in the middle of the season and then to be able to overhaul everything on the fly – and then potentially win their division. That is a hell of a story for them. So more on the Braves in just a moment. This was a big game in the American League East as the Rays beat the Red Sox. 1-1 pitch. And a line drive up the right field side. Base hit. Rosarena scores. The ball gets loose in that right field corner. The Rays will score not only Rosarena, but Franco and Meadows. And the Rays come up with three on that liner in the right and the ball that skipped away. What has happened right now to the Boston Red Sox? So the Rays score four in the top of the night to win. They extend uh, their lead in the American League East. And, you know, Boston was rolling there for a while. Now they're not. I mean, they're really going south. Now they're lost 10 of their last 12 games. Apparently they're going to get Chris Sale back, but they didn't do much at the deadline. You know, they went and got Kyle Schwarber and fans are not happy up east with the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, lo- losing 10 of 12 is not going to help you win that division when you've got the Rays playing as well as they are. Dan, I... I've said it a million times. I do not like the way that the Rays operate. They did it again this year where they go out there and they get Nelson Cruz and then they ship off another guy from their team. Right. I don't understand it. I don't know how they continue doing this the way that they do, but you look up, it's mid-August, and they're 69-44, and 44, yeah. <laughs> leading their division once again, despite the fact that the Yankees and the Red Sox have all of these superstar talents on their roster. It's it's amazing. It really is. And you think about you know last year's World Series, they take out Blake Snell. Everybody's like, how could you do that? He's a Cy Young Award winner. They trade him to San Diego. He hadn't been great in San Diego. Nope. Maybe they knew something. So let's go to the Central, and the Brewers keep on rolling. This time at Wrigley. First pitch to Garcia. Here's a drive to deep left center. Bye-bye baseball. Garcia just points into that Brewers dugout as he jogs around first. And Avi with his 20th of the year, and the Brewers lead it 3-1. It's a doubleheader sweep, 4-2-6-3 at Wrigley. They're going to go back to nine-inning doubleheaders next year when uh, those do happen. 
I kind of like the seven innings. I love them. I'm going to miss them. Uh, Back to the National League, and we're talking about the Braves. They're rolling right now. Swing and a high fly ball. Deep left field. Did he get enough? Aquino to the wall. We are tied 2-2. One of those guys they pick up, Duvall, he hits a game-tying home run. They beat the Reds 3-2, so good news for the Cardinals. Back to the Dodgers, and no matter who they lose, it just seems like they still win. Lifts a fly ball the other way. Deep left center field. It's gone. Opposite field home run. Corey Seager. Minute of the day. Muncie turns on a ball. Sends it way up there. How far will it go? Second deck home run. Max Muncie. Doesn't matter. They lose bets. They get Muncie. They get Chris Taylor. Oh, we'll just throw Albert Pujols out there. He'll hit home runs. So they win that game five to nothing. And the Padres trying to keep pace with those Dodgers. Line to left field and a base hit. From second base, coming around to score is Frazier. Padres back on top, 6-5. to five. Austin Nola drives in the go-ahead run. They also find ways to win, and they win it 6-5. to five. So the Cardinals win last night. Looking forward to tonight. It's a Wayno start in game two. A couple of things uh, at the back end of that, Dan. You mentioned the Reds. I'm very curious to see if Jonathan India is able to end up winning this NL Rookie of the Year. His numbers, if you look at what he's doing right now, I, I read about this earlier I think today he's on ESPN. Right now in the clubhouse, with right on his heels, would be Dylan Carlson. And Trevor Rogers up yep. there as well from the uh, Marlins. He has Jonathan India, that is, an on base percentage above 400. Yes. The only other qualifying rookies to post an on base percentage of at least 400 are Aaron Judge. Albert Pujols, Mitchell Page, and Fred Lynn. That's dating back to 1969. Mitchell Page, huh? former Cardinals hitting coach Pretty on there. Pretty incredible to be in that grouping. So uh, what we're seeing this year out of Jonathan India, and it started out early on. We saw it here in St. Louis in that first series between these two teams. He's been taking this National League by storm. He's a hell of a player to watch as well. And the other, th- the other one that I wanted to mention in terms of the awards races, uh, don't look now, but if you're looking at the NL MVP, Max Muncie is right up there at or near the top of the list right now. All right. You've got three more hours, as I like to say, of Radio Gold coming up. What do you got? Some like to say that others would disagree. (laughs) Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, coming up at 130. Excited to talk to him about what's going on with the Blues right now. I want to see if he's got any updates on the Vladimir Tarasenko situation. So we'll talk to him at 130. Coming up to start the show, I want to talk a little bit about Paul DeYoung. Hit the home run yesterday. Is there anything he can do down the stretch to change the minds of Cardinals fans about what his future could hold for him here in St. Louis? We'll talk about that. And uh, Dan, I looked up some potential valuation of starting pitchers for the free agent market. I think the Cardinals are going to have a decision to make. Do we shop at the top end of the pitching market this offseason or the top end of the shortstop market? Because these contracts could get pretty sizable. We'll talk about that coming up today. All right. A reminder tomorrow, uh, David Freeze, who's coming back in town on Tuesday night at the ballpark, will be my guest. Looking forward to visiting with David Freeze tomorrow. We'll talk to you at 10 on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday... With the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. 
New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.